Welcome to the LeanZone.com podcast, where we discuss construction contracts, liens, and bonds. And now, our host, Alex Barthet. All right, so now we're going to start diving into each of the component parts of the construction contract. So the first is what's called the preamble. Um, now, when we see contracts, we see contracts that can be as simple as a page, uh, but most contracts we see from contractors that are relatively sophisticated, uh, I would tell you range from, you know, call it 15 to 80 pages, right? So they're substantial documents. Um, so where they start is what's called the preamble. And in the preamble, they recite certain pieces of information. And typically, that information uh, is on the first page. It doesn't have to be, but it, you, they usually group it all together on the first page. So this would include the job number, the effective date of the subcontract, the contractor's company name and address, the subcontractor's company name and address. This is important, by the way. Um, we have uh, a case now where my client is uh, the subcontractor, and the quote that came, or the contract that came from the contractor, uh, has one name, and we weren't paid, so we filed a lawsuit to get paid. And the contractor says, no, 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 that's not the company. That's not the right company. And we look, and they have three companies, all with nearly identical names. Um, and the quote itself doesn't designate, you know, is it so-and-so corp? Is it so-and-so LLC? So, um, you know, our, my client didn't uh, go to SunBiz and say, wait, which of these companies is it to make sure that the contract is in the right name? Those are, keep in mind, those are things you don't think of until after the fact. So, um, if there's any doubt uh, on who you're doing business with, go to sunbiz.org and verify that it's the proper entity and clear it up in the contract. Uh, the name and address of the owner. Uh, if there's a design professional, that's typically referenced as well. Um, the name and address of the project. A description of your work. Now, this typically is a very, very short description that exists on the front page. So maybe it's, uh, you know, striping or uh, electrical contracting. The detail, of course, is going to usually be in an exhibit, which is going to define the scope of, which is going to be called the scope of work. It'll have the price, uh, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what the subcontract price is. You know, is it uh, a fixed fee? Is it uh, unit costs? Uh, but if there's, typically if it's a lump sum, it, it's going to be listed on the, the front page. It's going to have the date when you can bill as a subcontractor. Uh, what the retainage is, and if the subcontractor is required to furnish a bond. Now, surprisingly, uh, when clients come to us as subcontractors, and I ask them, uh, does the contractor have a bond? I, I don't know. Did you provide a bond? Yes. Well, you should always want to know how you're going to get paid, and one of the ways to do that is to make sure that you check to see if the contractor is bonded on the job that you're working on. This is even more important if you as a subcontractor provide your own bond on the job. 
because providing your own bond creates a tremendous amount of risk for you as, uh, as a subcontractor because if something goes wrong, not only is your company liable, but you may be liable uh, as well if your surety decides to come after you. Um, okay, so that is the, that's the preamble. Let's talk about the contract documents. Um, so the contract is made up of the document you're looking at and lots and lots of other pieces of paper. Um, and you can have all of those other pieces of paper be part of your contract merely by incorporating them by reference. So legally speaking, uh, the contract could say, this contract incorporates by reference and gives you a whole list of other documents that you physically do not have in your possession. And it is not a defense for you later to say, I never got it. I, that, I never saw those provisions. Uh, I didn't understand that those provisions were part of my contract. A judge will give you no sympathy um, if that's the defense you want. So understand that the definition, and it typically is contract documents, capital C, capital D, is going to include all of the documents that are referenced in, your, in the subcontract. So the single most significant document that is almost always, and I would tell you it, it probably is always incorporated by reference in your subcontract, is what's called the prime contract, the contract between the owner and the contractor. So as a sub, your contract at a minimum is the subcontract you're physically holding, incorporated by reference is the prime contract, and it usually incorporates all the plans and specifications. There can be lots and lots of other documents incorporated. Um, if there's an OSIP, there may be an OSIP manual. If uh, uh, there may be a safety manual. Uh, so there's lots of things. You know, when you go and you look at the document, it's, it says Exhibit A, Exhibit B, Exhibit C. All of those documents, whether you physically have them or not, are part of your contract. And as I said, all of the obligations that exist in that, those other documents are your obligations, even if you never saw the document or never read the document. This episode is brought to you by the Miami Construction Forum. This invitation-only group of construction professionals of all sizes and trades meets monthly for an informal lunch and learn session on current topics of interest, from getting paid and safety to bonding and insurance. To see the upcoming topics and request your invitation, visit MiamiConstructionForum.com. So let's talk about the incorporation by reference of the plans and specifications. So it is common that your contract is going to incorporate by reference the plans and specifications, whatever they may be. Um, usually there's a sentence in the contract that says the drawings, plans, and specifications by the architect um, for the project as amended are incorporated by reference. So um, as a subcontractor, you would like to try to limit those plans and specifications only to those that apply to your scope of work. As a contractor, you want to try to include everything. So let's take, a, let's take an example. Um, 
let's assume that you are the, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, the window contractor on a, on a specific uh, contract. You as the window contractor, um, you only want to reference those uh, plan pages that apply to your scope of work. You don't want all of them. And the reason is because if by some chance on certain plan pages that you looked at, they don't reference things, but there may be notes or other references to your scope of work in other pages that maybe you didn't look at. If you incorporate all the plans and specifications into your contract, you now become obligated. You can't say, well, it wasn't in these plan pages, and the contractor can say, yeah, well, look at the, the back. You see these little notes, these four pages of notes on the architectural plans, and it mentions your scope. You're obligated for that. So if you've bid a job, and what you did to bid the job is look at six plan pages, then you should limit your contract to the six plan pages you looked at. Because if there's 87 plan pages, and you only looked at six to give a price, um, in the other 81 plan pages, are you certain that there's no reference to your scope of work? Because if you incorporate them all, then you become liable for all of them. As a contractor, you want to give them everything. You want to make them liable for everything. So because as the, you know, so they may only look at the E pages, right? But maybe, you know, the plumbing page or the mechanical page shows electrical connections that the electrical engineer didn't actually put on the electrical pages. You want to make your electrician responsible for everything. Um, but as a sub, you would like to say, any inconsistency in provisions shall be governed by the principle that um, it, the subcontractor, shall be treated no differently by the contractor as the contractor is treated by the owner on the same or related issues. Now, remember one of the things I told you at the beginning is that contracting is not risk-free. Uh, clients come to us sometimes and they say, hey, Alex, I, you know, here's the contract. Uh, I want it to be bulletproof for me. Bulletproof. That's the word they like. Bulletproof. I can't do that because if I did that, you would have no work because I can make it so tight that no one on the other side would ever sign the contract. So the goal of this discussion isn't to address every issue so that you are 100% protected. It is to address the issues so that you are so you understand the issue, that you are better protected, and you can still get the other side to sign the contract, so you still have work. So as an example of that theory, this provision that I just read to you, it's not, it's not bulletproof. It just tries to level the playing field a little bit uh, between the sub and the contractor. Thanks for listening to the LeanZone.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast app. For articles, videos, and forms on this and other construction topics, head over to the LeanZone.com.